This is Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinney's. I'm Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. Prepare to feel hungry. Prepare to feel inspired. I can almost hear your tummy rumbling. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. To talk us through some Ramadan recipes, delighted to be joined now by Tiffany Essex. She is creative on the Spinney's magazine and uh, content director. So responsible for the beautiful, beautiful recipes and photos that uh, that you see there. Tiffany, how are you? Hey, I'm fine. How are you? I am good. Now, you've literally just WhatsApped me about 10 minutes ago saying, look what I've got. And it is the new yes. Spinney's <laughs> magazine. When is it going to be in store? So it will be on store on the 1st of May. Um, yeah, and it's our collector's edition, uh, glittering with gold foils. Everyone should look out for it. So Dubai. <laughs> I love it. Now, the, the, um, obviously, some beautiful Ramadan recipes in the current edition. Um, and you've taken inspiration for, from some food proverbs from this part of the world. Tell us how that works. Can you give us a little look behind the scenes? You know, you see a quote and then where does your brain go to as content director kind of go, well, how can we turn this into something special? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a cookbook, which has a title, which is um, A House with a Date Palm Will Never Starve. And I've always loved that. And it's, it's a book filled with recipes with food made with dates. And so when we were conceptualizing this new issue and I, I wanted to do something around food from this region um, and something a bit different. So I spoke to our Arabic editor, um, who's also a massive foodie, and she said, OK. And I had said, look, I want more more proverbs. Like, what are they? Please let me know. So she helped me research them um, and found we, we can't actually find the etymology for any of them, but they are sort of ancient or historic and uh, popular Arabic food proverbs from around the region. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. They were, we had quite a long list and these are the ones that we, we came down to. I think, I think they're just gorgeous. So we've got a house with a date palm will never starve. Zatar opens your mind. I'm in luck. I have Zatar almost every single day. Olive oil <laughs> is the king of the table. Now this one I don't understand. So maybe you can explain it to me. Do you want the grapes or do you want to fight the orchard keeper? I want the grapes. What, yes. why, why are we talking about fighting <laughs> some, some innocent man or woman who's looking after the fruit? What's, what's that one about? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's about like cutting to the chase, you know, to focus on getting what you want and your results and don't or like don't make a big deal about other things in, in your way. So, yeah, that's how um, the Arabic has explained it to me. I love it. What, and what else have you taken inspiration from? Um, so I really enjoyed the one that said only the one who breaks the walnut enjoys it. You know, I guess it's all about you doing the work and reaping the rewards. Mm. Um, and then lentils are the nails of the knees. That was quite nice and strong, you know, meaning, um, I mean, literally, it, it, they are good for your body. Oh, are they? <laughs> and, I thought, I, in my mind, I was like, is this some kind of punishment? You, you know, you kneel on lentils to, to pay the price or something. So lentils are the nails yeah. of the knees because they give strength to the body and joints. All right. Yes. I love yeah, it. So, the, so you've used these as jumping off points for creating recipes, including a mixed lentil salad. Now, the za'atar shortbread sounds really interesting because I think of za'atar being a very kind of traditionally savory herb so what tell us a little bit about that yeah you know actually it, it works it's such a versatile herb and this shortbread is dipped in dark chocolate so it's not going to be that sort of milky mm. sweet taste you have got quite a, a depth of taste to this and if you don't like za'atar, I mean, you can go against our whole proverb feature and you could use any spice blend of your choice. Um, uh, but it's really quick and easy to make, not very many ingredients. 
And if you wanted to do a gluten-free version of this, you can just replace the cake flour with uh, a gluten-free mix. So yeah, really, really tasty. And I encourage everyone to try it. Um, we are going to be talking to some of the other recipes. There's a raw carrot salad, um, some beautiful grape, almond and olive oil cakes. Oh, I'm, I'm intrigued by the lamb meatballs with couscous. This sounds like right up my street. But before we come to those, um, I want to ask you, Tiffany Eslick, and this is a different question because you actually, your office is actually above the Maidan branch of Spinney's. <laughs> but it is, that, it is that time of the month where we get that beloved message from our bank saying we've been paid. What is your treat when you're, when you're kind of looking around the aisles? You think... Oh, do you know what? I will. I'm going to splurge. For me, it's cherries or cookie dough. We've got messages saying caviar, fresh celery, cucumber, apple, ginger and kale. Pomelo saying it's abundant in the Philippines, but here in the UAE, you're really lucky to find it. Eat of a salt and vinegar. Oh, I love the sound of that. Uh, Charbonnel salted caramel truffle, says Isbun. Greek yogurt, says Elisa. What's your payday supermarket splurge, Tiffany? I am a bit of an obsessive with olive oils, so I try all the really amazing like Spanish and Italian and Greek imported olive oils. And it's actually quite a bad thing because you shouldn't keep olive oil for a very long time. You know, you need to use it up and, you know, when you do store it, keep it in a dark cupboard. So I have far too much olive oil, but I will always splurge on that. Um, flowers, uh, that's something I, I spoil myself oh, with. And I'm with you with the cherries. I'm like, I love cherries. And it's, that, that's also something I spoil myself with. And you know what? There's been some beautiful flowers in store this morning. I saw some amazing hydrangeas, which is what I had in my wedding bouquet. Like huge blue and white and green hydrangeas. And yeah. They nearly snuck in to my trolley this morning. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Tiffany Eslick is with us this afternoon, the content director at Spinneys Magazines. We look through the pages. Um, and I love this. I love this article. Using Arabic proverbs as a jumping off point for recipes inspired by those ingredients. And we've had a house with a date palm will never starve. Olive oil is the king of the table. Tell us about this olive oil cake, because that sounds absolutely Absolutely delicious. Yeah, so we made mini grape, almond and olive oil cakes. And you can, you know, if you wanted to change up the flowers in this, you could really use any nut flour um, in place of almond flour. They they sort of like a good morsel size. So you could almost get away with eating two yourself if you really wanted to. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> and what's important when you when someone is following the recipe is to use a light flavored olive oil so that it doesn't overpower the flavors in the cake. And I mean, if you don't like the idea of olive oil at all, then you could replace it with melted butter, for example. Sold. Okay, sounds great. <laughs> I, I'm not a great... I, I, I enjoy baking, but I think I, I can be a bit slapdash. So I do try and follow baking recipes much more closely than I would do anything else, uh, because it is, it's, it's a science, it's, it's an alchemy. Um, I also <laughs> loved, loved, loved the idea of the lamb meatballs with couscous. And I actually buy the meatballs from Spinney's, the beef ones that are kind of ready-made, we all love them. It's kind of the go-to family dinner, you know, big bowl of pasta, meatballs and sauce on the table. Um, but we've never really done the lamb and the couscous, got kind of more Moroccan Middle Eastern flavours. Um, again, I do buy the couscous from the deli counter. Um, but what about making from scratch? Any tips on making the best fluffy couscous? Yeah, you know, the easy, it's such an easy thing to cook. And I think people mustn't panic. I All I do, and this is what we've said in the recipe, is... 
you pop your couscous into boiling water in like a, a Pyrex bowl, cover that with um, some cling film and let it rest for about 10 minutes. You don't want to touch it. You don't want to open that cling film. And don't I don't leave it for longer than 10 minutes because otherwise it goes quite stodgy. Mm. Um, and then fluff it up with a fork and then you are really ready to go. Something that I also do at home as a trick is I put vegetable stock um, into the water. So just like powdered vegetable stock or you can use real stock. Um, and that gives your couscous a really nice flavor. And for this meatball dish, actually, if you were short on time, just picking up the meatballs is a great idea. Then you can make your couscous that will take 10 minutes. And then to kind of make it crispy, you're going to treat it a bit like you would with tadig, so with basmati rice or when you're crisping up potatoes, is just put a bit of olive oil in a big skillet um, and then pat your couscous down into the pot, into the skillet and let that, cover that and sort of slowly um, fry it for about five to ten minutes and don't worry that it's going to burn you want that crispiness and then sort of just you know um, flip it out onto a plate throw on your meatballs with your tomato sauce and then you've got the dish sounds like a really lovely ramadan kind of centerpiece and 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 showstopper lovely love the sound of that you can find that in the spinnies magazine elise has been in touch on 4001 saying can you please tell us more about edible flowers we mentioned these recently when we were talking about cheese believe it or not and actually if you look on spinnies instagram it's at spinnies uae um they've featured um a cheese called tomafleur which is also called spring thomas so it's a raw cow's milk um cheese that is coated in edible flower petals which is like a dried but i i see it on the shelves all the time tiffany and i never know what to do beautiful little pansies microgreens but what do you actually do with them apart from you know take a photo for instagram (laughs) what 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 are some of the ways you can incorporate edible flowers into sweet and savory dishes so definitely throw them into a salad that's the easiest thing um also if you're doing something like cookies you know so some butter or shortbread cookies you can just press a flour into into your dough before baking you just need to be really delicate with them you can put them into mocktails i like to do that quite a lot so um yeah that works any kind of drink actually an iced tea and you know i mean any yeah any, they don't have like a lot of flavor they just look mm-hmm. really pretty and are quite good for you so you could you could really be experimental um, I, I use them a lot at home. Do you? And I find it really yeah. interesting because we should be very clear. We're talking about specific edible flowers <laughs> that are in the chilled grocery area where it is beautiful mini pansies and um, they've got, as I said, microgreens that you can sprinkle on as well. We're not talking about buying flowers from the Spinney's flower section <laughs> yes. and adding them to and your is- dinner. That's actually so important. Um, I visited our edible flowers um, farmer, Erica, in South Africa at Pickergrow last year. And that's one of the key, key things is that you you must only buy flowers that are being sold as edible flowers. Others can be very dangerous. Um, so, yeah, very important point. Yeah, so just to be clear. Um, and mm-hmm. as you said, nice, nice bit of colour. And in terms of health benefits um you know nutrients there's powerful antioxidants and some anti-inflammatory as well that i've been hearing about so you can serve them raw you can cook them vegetables sprinkle them on your desserts um so not just beautiful but most edible flowers are really rich in vitamin c as well so do your research pick up some pansies and have a little sprinkle um tiffany thank you so much for your time today recipes in the magazine are absolutely beautiful brand new issue is on the shelves on the first of may what can we expect on the cover and uh, can you give us a couple of highlights of what we can look forward to 
Yeah, so um, our focus for the magazine is celebrating the UAE as well as the absolute confluence of cultures and cuisines that you find here. And this was sparked off because of um, Spinney's celebrating its 60th anniversary this year. and the UAE years? Celeb- yeah. Oh Can my you believe it? <laughs> goodness. That's incredible. Um, Six yeah. Years. So it was Spinney's was around 10 years before the UAE was actually established. Um, so we've got a really lovely feature about our timeline in the magazine, and we've got a whole section dedicated to Emirati cuisine, um, which we've given, like, so we've based our recipes on traditional recipes, but then given each one a bit of a modern angle to it. Um, and then something, we've got a fantastic feature about supper clubs. So lots, lots and lots, and where to staycation for Eid. So, so yeah, Sounds lots fab. Of Tiffany, thank you so much. Enjoy a well-deserved weekend rest, and we'll talk to you very soon. <laughs> Tiffany Essek, our content director at Spinney's. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are looking at the latest food news with industry insider, restaurateur uh, Andre Gachel. How are you, Andre? I can see you through the power of Microsoft Teams. I've missed your little face. Well, thank you very much. Um, it's been quite some time. I haven't had a chance to cook with you live for over a year now, and I'm I very know. sad about it. Oh, me too. But through the power of technology, we can have a chat and talk about what's happening in the food world. And um, what have you been up to yourself? You know, I've been working on um, an investment fund that's focused on trying to, to really kickstart and uh, raise money for some of the great local brands that we've seen come up as a byproduct of this pandemic. There's been some wonderful supper clubs, um, great retail items. People, I think, are looking inwards for creativity in really special ways and developing really interesting business ideas that are uh, touching the food world. And I've been very lucky to be put in charge of a investment fund that's focused on exactly those businesses. Well, watch this space all about promoting the homegrown heroes here. Uh, So keep us posted. Now, before we get to the food news, when I mentioned that kind of payday treat in the supermarket, where did your brain go to? What, What do you like to kind of treat yourself to if you're feeling a bit flush? So it's funny. I have like a very cool answer and then I have a horribly dorky, boring, terrible answer. Which one do you want? I want both. Okay. The really cool answer is really expensive olive oil and sauces. I'm I'm like a sucker for those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to have like an amazing array of condiments in the fridge, hot sauces, truffle flavored mayonnaise, really expensive chili and truffle oil for sure. That's like the first thing that I will absolutely not compromise on. I want and then the, the really answer. boring yeah, thing, which is really embarrassing. Go on. Is expensive Tupperware, like the glass, <laughs> the glass kind. Oh, you have this moment like, who am I? Why is this a treat? I, I, nothing, How is this my life? Nothing joy than opening up the, yeah, the shelves and you see like a perfect organized chef's kitchen when you open up the drawers that yeah. that really i'm a sucker for we all have those rogue lids and those those tupperware pots that have been used for spaghetti bolognese once and will never be the same color ever again andre let's let, <laughs> absolutely let's look at the headlines um now yesterday was stop food <clears throat> waste day and it's something we've been talking about obviously a lot over the course of the last year because i feel like certainly during the pandemic we've all been much more aware of the food that's coming into our homes and equally the waste that's going out because we've been spending that much more time at home and the pandemic has put a stop to many buffets as well which i am fully on board with um so i'm curious to see what your experience hearing, hearing about in the restaurant industry you know restaurants becoming more responsible customers becoming more discerning we yet to see the numbers but do you feel like food habits have changed and what impact will things that's going to have on our dining out experience 
Well, I, I think, you know, let's look at where we are now versus where we think we're going to be at the end of the year. I think third quarter and fourth quarter of this year, you're going to see an unprecedented amount of people wanting to gather as vaccination rates catch up and people have the ability and restrictions ease around the world. But I think one thing is absolutely true, whether you liked it or not, everyone has cooked more probably in their own home mm -hmm. in the last year than they probably ever have ever. And so when you have so many people cooking at home more, some people realize, you know what, I kind of like this and I'm decent at it. And so I think that 2022 is the year of the dinner party, is the year of having friends and family and gathering at home and showing off some of the skills or, you know, that beautiful starter that you've made for your sourdough or how you can do your new goat's cheese pasta or even a baked oats TikTok uh, <laughs> wonder uh, sensation. I think all of those things have, have convinced us to cook more, uh, go to and buy better produce. I think, you know, you have documentaries like Cowspiracy and Seaspiracy that have been sensationalized through Netflix that are really changing the way we purchase, consume and cook food. And speaking of Netflix documentaries, um, it's been a really interesting year in terms of uh, veganism and No Meat May is coming up. The food website mm. Epicurious has announced that it's not going to be running beef recipes anymore as they make a shift towards sustainable consumption. And interestingly, there's been a survey that's just come out of Australia and it found that 73% of men would rather cut their life expectancy by 10 years than not eat meat then give it up so i thought that was a really interesting one they, they, the poll uh, followed it with participants and found that nearly, <laughs> nearly half of the men saw consuming meat as an explicitly a masculine undertaking so this is australia you know kings of the grill over there but 73 percent said they'd rather cut their life expectancy by 10 years than give up meat um so really interesting to see how that's going to kind of unfold over the over the course of the next month no no meat may um now you know you're just talking about you being a bit of a dork when it comes to tupperware i mm. <laughs> this is really tragic i i think like many others i have a favorite car park spot at my local spinnies and I start to get a little bit peeved if I can. actually I've got two one on the left one on the right same same position um but someone has taken it one step further in the news today one man in the UK Gareth Wilde who by the way not so wild given what his what his hobby has been six years it has taken him to park in every single parking space at his local supermarket he got aerial photograph turned this into a map, turned the map into Excel spreadsheet, and every single time he went to a supermarket, challenged himself to park wow. in a different spot. Um, he tweeted saying, for the last six years, I've kept a spreadsheet listing of every parking spot I've used at the local supermarket in a bid to park at them all. This week, I completed my magnum opus. So, Gareth Wilde, six years well spent there, friend. <laughs> I refuse to compromise. I will drive around three times until I get the spot of my dreams. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Joining us live on the line to talk about the latest food news and to play our game, real or fake headline, delighted to be in conversation with Andre Cachel. He's a restaurateur, passionate foodie, industry insider, but has he been reading the latest news? Which one is the real food headline? Feel free to play along at home or in your cars. So... Sir, are you ready to be challenged? No Googling allowed. Hands where I can see them. No, no, no Googling allowed. Hands up. Good man. Okay, which one is the real headline? Headline one, crabs strut their stuff at annual fashion show or B, potato shortage alarms village in Poland. Crabs are potatoes. Oh, gosh. Potatoes. 
Uh -uh. It's the real headline. Crabs have been strutting their stuff at an annual crustacean fashion show. Uh, participants decorated mitten crabs <laughs> in China, uh, one of the eastern provinces. <laughs> Photos from the contest show crustaceans in colourful outfits as they're flown in by drones. See? And I thought I had too much time on my hands. Apparently not. Headlines next up. Real or fake? Seaweed ice cream, big hit in Texas, or KFC launches finger-licking nail polish? Nail polish. Correct. KFC has created nail polish in two flavours. Uh, banking on customers basically wanting that chicken flavour long after the chicken is gone. Um, in Hong Kong, produced two flavours of nail polish, original and hot and spicy, that wearers can lick to get that familiar chicken taste at any moment. <laughs> no, thank you. Please do not bring this to Dubai. Okay, next set of headlines for you. Nigella Lawson's weird pronunciation of microwave earns her a BAFTA nomination or cucumber and aubergine get married and have a baby. A cucumbergine. Cucumbergine. Incorrect. It was this brilliant pronunciation that has earned Nigella a BAFTA. But I still need a bit of milk, full fat, which I've warmed in the microwave. The microwave. <laughs> she claims she, that is how what she actually calls it, although she knows that pronunciation is incorrect. So, people, make your microwave posher by calling it a microwave. Uh, it went viral. Uh, it's been now been nominated for um, a BAFTA. And she says she knows how to pronounce it correctly, but um, I just keep doing what you're doing, Nigella. Let's hear it one more time. But I still need a bit of milk, full fat, which I've warmed in the microwave. <laughs> brilliant. Okay, next headline. An apple a day doesn't keep the doctor away after all, study finds. Or, life after lockdown is odd, Burger King says, so you might as well eat a meatless Whopper. Apples or burgers? Burgers. Correct. Listen to this. Dustin bought a book on climate change, but it's shipped from England by plane wrapped in plastic. Now he's confused. Jason stumbles into a real life conversation. He can't mute. He can't turn off his camera. Confused. Simon and Sarah had a baby. And now everyone asks when the next one's coming. What's wrong with this one these are confusing times which is just about the right time to have the burger king impossible whopper a whopper made without beef that tastes just like a whopper where do you stand on meat replacements have you had a have you had a, a fake meat burger andre in your time yeah, yeah, I have. I actually think that they're quite delicious. Mm. Um, I, I really enjoyed the ones that I've had. You have Impossible Burger, which to me is is definitely the superior one. And the truth is the first, first time I had it, I remember, I think I must have called that poor uh, server back at the restaurant maybe like 10 times because I said, no, no, I want the one without the meat in it. And they kept saying, no, that is the one that you got. I said, this is the first time that's ever happened. And she's like, no, it happens literally every time, 10 times a day. I was very bored with my <laughs> bewilderment. But um, they're, they're excellent. A lot of them are very good. Um, I think it's an interesting way in which we can mitigate the immense amount of greenhouse uh, gases that are, that are produced by livestock. 
Um, the only issue is that they are calorically much worse for you. But if you're at the point of eating a burger anyway, who's counting calories? I'm with you. So that's really interesting because you obviously, uh, food is a huge part of your life professionally, personally and passionately. So if it managed to kind of fool you, that is, and do you know what? It fools my six-year-old. She's a pretty dedicated meat eater, but we do we do give her, it's the moving mountains ones that we get from Spinney's, which are excellent. And she, yeah, we've now told her, but for about a year, she really didn't have a clue that it was going to, it was, um, it was kind of veggie protein rather than meat. So interesting one indeed. Now, I have just had my lunch, which um, I had alone. Um, but I wanted to get your take on this because, you know, a lot of us are eating um you know, having our, our lunches at home right now as we're, as we're working from home. But when we get back into the office, how impacted, how influenced are we by our colleagues and what they choose to eat? Researchers from Massachusetts General Hospital say what someone has for lunch isn't always what they're craving most. It's what they see on their colleagues' plate. Instead, they examine the eating habits of around 6,000 employees over two years, coming from all sorts of different backgrounds, socioeconomic, age, status, and all had one thing in common. They all took their meals in the hospital system's cafeteria. And co-workers apparently don't just tempt friends to eat unhealthy foods. This influence can extend to healthy choices too. How suggestible are you, Andre? If someone someone sits down or do you ever get the food envy when people are ordering and you're like, oh, I probably should have ordered what you're having? I mean, I'm pretty picky, but my wife is a really strict eater. So I think in terms of like eating at home or anytime we have people over, she really governs exactly <laughs> what we eat. I think it's it's fair to say that I'm in charge of kitchens outside the house enough <laughs> that when I come home, it's really nice to not to be sous chef, not head chef. So I think that that's definitely been my experience for the, for the most part. But I would say very much so. We always were very conscientious of having people over who have dietary restrictions. And we enjoy the challenge of cooking and making sure that we're mm-hmm. eating within line with people. But I would say very... You know, like when when I go out with a, a big group of guy friends, we're certainly not all ordering salads. So there is absolutely <laughs> an incidence of that happening. Well, we spoke earlier about this survey out of Australia saying 73% of men would rather cut their life expectancy by 10 years than give up meat. Would you put yourself in that category? No, I don't think I'm quite as dramatic. <laughs> I'd say I'd rather cut my life expectancy if you told me I couldn't eat sushi for the rest of my life. That would be Ooh, a much harder one. But, um, but no, I, I think, you know, in terms of red meat and, and, and personally, forget forget the idea that it's more about the planet than it is about your own personal diet and ex- and extending your life expectancy. I think it's also just about like what is physically good for you mm-hmm. itself. And And, you know, there's lots of science about how much red meat humans should eat. There's the old myth about the idea that it should be about the size of the palm of your hand. God knows whenever we go out, we eat way more than that. So I think it's also just about deterring and educating and informing the way that we eat. Did you watch the documentary Sea Spiracy and Cowspiracy? Did you watch Game Changers on Netflix, Andre? I didn't watch Game Changers. I did see Cowspiracy. Sea Spiracy is on my weekend, my very, very exciting and, <laughs> and wild weekend lineup. Um, I, everyone says after eating it, they had a really hard time eating raw fish and eating fish in general and have have decided to, to eat less. So I'm really curious to see if it has the same impact on me. But a lot of people are talking about the idea of farm to table for many years. And I think now people are talking about sea to fork in a much more interesting way. It's an interesting topic. It is. It's the power of our viewing on our behaviours and uh, how it can change them. Andre, thank you so, so much. Please keep us posted on everything you're up to. It sounds like really exciting stuff and we'd love to learn more. In the meantime, though, have a wild weekend with your Tupperware and your Netflix. Rock on. <laughs> thank you so much, Alan. Have a good one. You Bye. too. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Now, when I had children six years ago, a lot of my close friends said to me, you're going to start drinking coffee now, aren't you? 
You've never drunk it, but now's the time. You, these, these, this, this kid's going to crack you. you you're going to be absolutely crying out for caffeine every single morning. And you know what? I haven't. And I kind of wish I did drink coffee, but maybe our next guest, Claire June Curry, can help us next, explaining why I need to start getting some coffee in my life. She's Roastmaster at Coffee Planet. And, uh, well, Claire, you've got your work cut out for me, because, for you rather, because I've never drunk coffee. I've had maybe one espresso in my life and I had a sip of latte a couple of weeks ago and filmed my, uh, filmed my reaction, which, which wasn't great, to be honest. Um, I'm going to be completely honest and tell you my reasons behind not loving coffee. And apologies to any teachers out there, but it reminds me of teacher's breath. It reminds me of like... There was one particular art teacher in my school who was a bit creepy and it always reminds me of him. So I'm willing, I'm open-minded, I'm ready to be convinced about why I should introduce coffee to my life, for my mood, for my health, for my energy levels. So the floor is yours. Claire, thank you so much for being with us today. Coffee Planet is, of course, available in Spinney's. Let's, let's start with the health benefits because it feels like the headlines are contradicting themselves all the time. Coffee's amazing for you, coffee's terrible for you. Where do you, uh, where does the latest research stand? We have so many. I can give you 50 reasons why to drink coffee. <laughs> okay, give me the, give me the top three. <laughs> okay, for, uh, for example, you know, if you drink a cup of coffee before you do your workout, you are going to have more energy and you are going to lose more weight. Okay, that, I that's, good, that's good. I, yeah. I, I could stand to lose a, a few kilos. So that's so a good energy boost before uh, before that. Okay, next. And then <laughs> we, <laughs> then also, you know, uh, coffee is always uh, connecting people. So when you go for a cup of coffee, you are going to have your friends around and you are going to, you can try either a espresso, you can try a, a milk-based beverage or you can try some drinks with coffee. So this is also a very nice uh, moment to connect with people and exchange experience. So I'm going to get fitter and I'm going to have more friends, going to have more of a social life. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready for your third and final (laughs) (laughs) argument, please. And also helps also uh, to lower the levels of diabetes type two after lunch. Interesting. Um, yeah, well, and also can avoid you to have uh, uh, Alzheimer in the future. Well, it's funny you should say that because uh, there's been new studies out recently about the effect that coffee has on your brain. So I just, I mean, I have pretty decent energy levels now. I'd be bouncing off the studio walls if I started drinking coffee. I think Zena would have to lock me in a cupboard somewhere just to keep me quiet. But I will try over the weekend, I promise. But what to drink? <laughs> this, is the ne- this is my next question to you. Like, how do you know what to to order when you go into a coffee shop? How do you know what, what to pick off the shelves? Can you give us a bit of a beginner's guide to some of your favorite beans? Yeah, so I, I never talk about my favorite because sometimes my favorite is not uh, most of people's favorite. This is also because, uh, because I'm a long time in coffee, I really appreciate some acidity. And many people, they do not appreciate acidity. And when they drink coffee with higher acidity, they are going to say, the coffee has some sourness. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so I, we have some very nice options at Spinney's, for example, that you can have like our uh, Coffee Planet Italian that is very low acidity and more 
like chocolate after after taste and it's really pleasant um, and you don't need to add sugar by the way because our coffees are already sweet well that helps to be i mean you mentioned the word chocolate so that's already a tick in, tuck in the pro box so you've got coffees from all over the world peru italy uh colombia um even africa as well you're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Talking all things coffee with the guys from Coffee Planet. I'm joined by Roastmaster Claire. She is here to convince me to enjoy my first <laughs> cup. Um, but what about the kit we need at home, Claire? Because I feel like this is this, this coffee nerdery and then it goes this next, next level of expensive kit. And what about the basics? To have a really good cup at home... What, what what are the bits of kit we need to have? Uh, I really enjoy the V60. Uh, it's, uh, it's like an um, old-style Milita, but with a bigger hole. And it's ceramic. So with, with this uh, filter, you can have a very nice uh, brew coffee. Then Chemex goes to the same style also. And they are quite fancy. It looks amazing. And then, like, something that people normally have at home is the French press or the mocha pot. And for the people that are more geek, then you can go for Aeropress or Siphon. But then you should have also at home a grinder, a small grinder. So in terms of your offering, are you selling coffee that's like ready to go, ready to go into your pot? Are you selling the beans as well? I, we have your um, capsules at home. That's what my husband has. Uh, the stronger, the better. Um, but what, um, yes. we had a question from Elisa saying, um, you know, most coffee isn't roasted fresh here. So how, what, what is the process? What do you guys do? Can you talk us through what happens behind the scenes? Yeah, sure. So that's a very interesting question also. Uh, because... The coffee that we produce here is fresh roasted and we roast and pack. But the, for example, the packaging that we have in at Spinis, then we have a valve also and is nitrogen flushed. Uh, sometimes people ask us, ah, the coffee is not fresh roasted because it's one month old. It's one month old, but inside the beans or the ground coffee are as fresh as the day that was were roasted because we flush nitrogen. When the small roasters, they have coffee that you get like five days ago. Okay, but then they pack manually. And then when you pack manually, you lose freshness mm-hmm. very fast. Let's go. So there is, there is a science to this. We're throwing some science yes. and nitrogen at the yes. problem. Interesting. All right, I hope that helps, Lisa. Great question. Um, and lastly, you have a recipe for me. For me as a novice caffeine uh, fiend, trying my best to get aboard the caffeine train. Tell us about an iced coffee recipe that might be the gentle start I need as, as my, in my career in coffee drinking, Claire. Okay, let me ask you, do you like dates? You love dates, yes. Okay, amazing. So you can, uh, you, you said already your husband is coffee lover. Loves it. So he can brew, yeah, so he can brew some coffee in your favorite method, no worries. Then you can let cooling on the fridge for like a while. And then you just get like 100 milliliters of uh, this cold coffee. Just put in a blender with one scoop of ice cream, vanilla ice cream, four seedless dates, and just blend it all and drink it. Sold. 
We've mentioned chocolate yeah. and ice cream. <laughs> yeah. This sounds, this sounds, this sounds ice perfect. Ice cream and dates, yes, and <laughs> coffee. Uh, and it's amazing, you know. And uh, we just did this morning also, and it, we were enjoying here. It's really pleasant. Well, and will... you can even garnish with some date syrup, the glass. I will report back. That sounds like a good a good compromise, a good stopgap. But when I'm a coffee fiend who is waking up in the morning absolutely foul and refusing to speak to anyone until I've had my morning cup of coffee, I'm going to be knocking <laughs> on your door. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the insights um, and the bits of kit as well. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Now, a lot of people feeling a bit under the weather right now and often the skin can be the first place that it shows up. We're talking skincare this afternoon with Dr. Uh, Victoria Scott-Lang, dermatologist at Genesis, here in Dubai to find out how we can get our glow. We're going to be talking sun cream as well. But I'm curious, Victoria, how much does diet affect our skin is there any truth in the rumor of, you know, if you eat chocolate, you'll, you'll get spots? Um, hi, Helen. Well, the, the truth is we don't really know, to be honest. There's, um, there's quite a lot of debate around the, the role of food and skin health. Um, some specific um, skin conditions, there's more data than others. So, for example, there are some small trials in, in the acne literature looking at um, the role of diet with acne, and that's probably one of the top conditions I see in my clinic. And, and lots of patients ask me about. Um, in terms of the acne side, um, we, we tend to sort of avoid um, high um, carbohydrate and high sugar mm-hmm. diets because there is some evidence that they can lead to worsening of acne. And the role of theory isn't so well understood. When I was little, I had quite bad eczema, and even then, in like the early 80s, they were you know, like, cut out dairy, see if it makes a difference. And it did, but it's really impossible to actually kind of quantify these things, unfortunately. Um, and, but what about improving our skin through diet? Are there any foods we can be eating, drinking to get a bit of a glow, a bit of a rose in the cheeks, as my mum would say? So um, glowiness of the skin, um, well, a lot, a lot of that will be largely determined by our genetics and what we've been putting on our skin and how we're looking after ourselves with good sleep and exercise and generally looking after our health. But, um, yeah, some people do believe that certain antioxidants in foods can help skin health in particular um, help with collagen production because that's the thing that starts to decrease as we get older. Our collagen, which is the major protein-giving um, structure to the skin, starts to decrease from our mid-20s onwards um, by about 1% each year. Um, So foods that are thought to be essential for collagen synthesis would include vitamin C, um, vitamin E, some people believe also um, helps with collagen production, um, and taking foods rich in omega-3 fatty acids. Mm, Um, So your mackerels and salmon and things as well. Avocados. Your good fats. All right. Oily fish. Now, it is, of course, the holy month of Ramadan. Um, Does that have an impact on skin? Obviously, dehydration could be a factor. Yes. um, Interestingly, I've I've had quite a few patients who are fasting at the moment, and I'd say the most common scenario I'm being asked about is... um, the, the, the patients who are on roaccutane, which is a drug that we use commonly to treat acne, which is quite dehydrating for the skin, especially for the lips. So um, we've been um, sort of trying to manage that with just using moisturisers rather than normally I'd recommend drinking water to keep the lips hydrated. So sort of the drug in, impact on, on people that are fasting can be important to think about. Um, 
so that's probably the main question I've been asked mm-hmm. recently with regards to the Ramadan news. Now, it's a bit cloudy today, but the sun has been out. It's definitely, definitely getting hotter. And I, there's a huge range, I say an overwhelming range of, of sunscreens on the on the market. How on earth do we start to whittle down the many products, different formulations, and even the different numbers of SPF to find the one that's good for us? What are your general guidelines on choosing a sunscreen? So my top three um, tips for picking a sunscreen are, first of all, that it's got a high SPF, so minimum factor 30 I would go for. And usually, personally, I pick factor 50 because I'm blonde and very pale skinned. Um, So 30 at least for for all my patients, they will recommend. Um, We want to check on the label that it's a broad-spectrum sunscreen. Now, nearly all of them are, to be honest, but you need to check that it says UVA and UVB protection on the label um, because both of those wavelengths we need to be protected from. And then the third thing I'd look for is that it's water-resistant because most of the time we're wearing sunscreen, we're becoming sweaty, we're going maybe for exercise or we're in the pool. So the, the top sort of criteria... Um, looking on further from that, um, there's there's lots of different aspects to sunscreen that we can think about. For example, my patients with acne, they're always interested in finding one that's going to suit their acne-prone, oily skin, and that can be that can be difficult for some people. Um, and then the other big group are the patients with a very sensitive skin, mm. the eczema patients, and those who are maybe perhaps for have rosacea. And then the other big group would be by melasma patients, those who are prone to pigmentation. Um, for the acne-prone um, individuals, normally we recommend using the oil-free sunscreens. So there's a couple of really good ones in the market that I like. Um, ones from HelioCare and ones from Eucerin that they're my sort of go-to ones for the um, oil-free. Um, Victoria, I need, to, I need to ask you, we're, we're not just talking about putting on sunscreen when we go to the beach or to the pool. We're talking about putting on sunscreen every single day and I've, I've been bugging my husband about it I was like listen I bought you moisturizer with SPF 30 in have you been using it he's like well yeah when we go to the beach I was like no dude you need to wear it every day otherwise you can look like yeah. a proper haunted walnut in a couple of years <laughs> so just <laughs> to be clear you are talking about every day yeah well to be honest I don't have sunscreen on right now but I've literally come to work and I'm not going to be outside until it's it's late in the evening so I don't have it on today but if I was outside even just walking to my local souk or going out to the kids definitely I will have it on but I won't just have sunscreen on I'll wear a hat as well because I'm quite prone to burning being fair um but yes anyone that's going to be outside for any length of time during the day I would recommend putting sunscreen on in the morning slip slap slop as our Aussie friends say Victoria thank you so so much um if you do want any specific skincare advice you can find Dr Victoria at Genesis Clinic Welcome back to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you this afternoon. Talking skincare, we just heard from Dr. Victoria regarding what we should be eating and doing. But what about buying? Jeannie Asman is the category buyer for Spinneys when it comes to skincare, beauty and all of the lovely smelly things that uh, will catch your eye and your nose as you walk around the aisles. She's also the woman responsible for me probably buying far too much (laughs) towards the end of my (laughs) shop. In fact, I was in Spinneys this morning because I've been doing... We're doing some kind of probably too much gym training and I was like, I need Epsom salts. I need Epsom salts. And I went and bought a big sack of that Dr. Teal's you have, um, the Epsom with lavender. So I'm waiting for the waiting for that to kick in. But so lovely to have you with us this afternoon as we talk about some of the trends. So 
what um what I've certainly noticed, and I I I am a bit of a skincare nerd, is that where supermarket offering has traditionally been quite basic, you know, you kind of your pots of cold cream and you know eye makeup remover and and what have you. It seems like we're seeing perhaps a lot more science on the shelves is that fair to say absolutely first of all hi helen Hello. Uh, thank you for having me on the show i'm really excited to make my radio debut like you say um absolutely there is definitely a rise of um science-based skincare um and i think this is just literally about being um products that are being completely stripped back mm-hmm. just to their active ingredients so things that are kind of really now people are aware of ingredients such as retinol and um, hyaluronic acid because people are so now kind of much more informed um, they're demanding more from their products that they're using um, and it used to be kind of these ingredients only used to be found in really premium products and, and premium brands but they are, they're now so much more um, readily available and are really coming in at um, far more accessible prices and I think with the demand for these products so high there's so many more brands that are now kind of venturing into this space mm-hmm. um, and we at Spinney's definitely are kind of looking at bringing in a, a really curated um, offer with select select brands that are kind of fulfilling this need that we're definitely seeing um, is out there. The other thing um, I've, I noticed this morning actually was a huge number of sheet mask face masks and I was just thinking, well, we're working from home. If we don't put the camera on our Zoom or our Microsoft Teams, <laughs> no one's going to know. Um, is, is this just my perception or have you seen a real growth in this area as well? Definitely. I think um, it was something that was always, I think, bubbling away. But definitely during the pandemic with people having having more time, spent, like you say, we're spending more time at home, potentially not seeing people. But I think there's been a definite rise in in that whole self-care element Mm -hmm. um, where we decided to take kind of because we're slowing down people are taking more care of themselves and their skin um, which definitely I think as our lives start getting busier I hope like we don't lose that but um, the rise in in the use of masks is something that we've definitely seen um, um, in our sales and we've got a really kind of big um, sheet mask offer but then there's also another thing which I've definitely brought into it's called gua Oh, I did mine this morning. (laughs) Yes, I love it. And I think it's amazing. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, I'm going to let you explain as the expert because I'm a bit of a bumbling idiot when it comes to actually using them. (laughs) Well, I'm an expert. Let's say um, it's basically, I think gua sha literally means scraping. So it's basically using a flat um, kind of jade tool, which which you scrape um, across your face. Um, and it sounds it sounds crazy, but it's amazing, and the benefits that that you get from it. There's just so many. Kind of, it helps to contour your face, it helps with reducing puffiness, brightens up the skin. It's really similar to using. I think pe- people are probably more familiar with um, the jade rollers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very similar to that, but kind of you know like amped up. I really like putting mine in the fridge overnight Me so it gets too. cold in the morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying. I'm going to try and explain what they look like for anyone who hasn't seen them. And you will yeah. be seeing them more and more on social media and in stores. They're having a bit of a moment. There's nothing new, though. They do kind of go back to, you know, ancient China. But it's almost oh, like yeah. a kind of smooth, like a half moon kind of shaped stone. Yeah. I, mine's rose quartz, and I use it in the morning as exactly the same as you. Keep it in the fridge, and then I put it under yeah. my eyes to kind of reduce any puffiness. And then I use it 
to massage my face and kind of massage in like my morning products before I put sun cream on. You know, it, the the claims are the claims are amazing. You know, clearer skin, fewer wrinkles, a more kind of sculpted appearance, and yeah. then a lot a lot of products are now kind of putting one in their box to help. So this is what you need to, to massage into your skin, or this is how you can get the most out of the active ingredients. It's also just a really nice relaxing thing to do. Yeah, exactly. I think even I, I can definitely see benefits, but even if kind of if it didn't give you all those things, it's such a nice five minutes in the morning just to kind of think about how you can start your day. But it's just such a nice, uh, relaxing thing to do. Uh, you're exactly right. And are they for sale in Spinney's right now? Did I miss them? Not right now, but I'm definitely working on. We've got a few lovely, lovely brands that do both lots of jade jade products. So there's kind of um, rollers coming in and, and these and the gua sha is coming in. So a few kind of really nice face tools kits that we're going to be bringing in. So, yeah, look out. Watch out indeed. That was Regina Yasmin from Spinney's talking about the latest trends in skincare products. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We love speaking to small businesses, SMEs here in the UAE and beyond, who are now on the shelves of Spinneys. And speaking to Jason Lewis now, he is the founder of Louis NY Food Co., which is coming to Spinneys very soon. A range of frozen artisanal pizzas. And you know what? Jason, I went to Spinney's this morning, because I go about five times a week, and was like, oh, I know I'm speaking to Jason later. I'll just see if I can find it in the freezer. And I was like, well, maybe I'll go. And I couldn't find it. So when are you going to be in Spinney's? When can we start eating your food? Right, yes, it's not there yet. My oh. understanding, though, my understanding is that on Sunday it will be launched. So, so on Sunday you can get your hands on some uh, authentic New York pizza. So where are you from? Uh, I'm from Canada originally, growing up in Toronto, a big, uh, big food city, oh, uh, but a lot, a lot of summer spent in New York, so that's kind of the, uh, the background where all this kind of uh, idea sort of was born. I lived in Toronto for a while, and it's, it was just the best experience for food. It was amazing, like yeah. just Greek, yeah, Italian, oh, I absolutely loved it. So where did the idea for Louise come from? What's the kind of the origin story, if you will? Because I think everyone... I mean, come on, who doesn't love pizza, but who then decides to make a business out of it? It was really born from from the the lockdown. The, the, the lockdown um, came, I guess it was been about a year now, so it was back in uh, March. You know, in, in sort of those situations, being a, a business uh, mind, I... I thought, you know, there's an opportunity here. Something, everything's changing. There, mm-hmm. there is an opportunity, and so interested to to start and launch businesses that, you know, sort of returned to one of my passions, which is which was cooking. Something I don't, I didn't have a lot of time for, normally. So I just started to recreate a lot of the food that I had loved. Um, you know, as uh, as we talked about growing up in Toronto and and uh, from New York, and and particularly I love. You know the Italian food, the, the the incredible pizza, the pasta, the uh, chicken sandwiches, veal sandwiches, paninis, all these great foods that um, I just found I couldn't get an authentic version of it uh, here in Dubai. So I started experimenting, and uh, it just popped in my mind. I was like, could I could I freeze this? Could I <laughs> make this? And could I freeze this? Coincidentally, I think it was about two weeks later. I saw Spinney's advertising for their incubator project and i was like 
there's my opportunity. <laughs> when you said that you were experimenting, were you just doing this at home or did you have a kitchen that you had access to? No, I was just doing it at home. So I, came, I became sort of obsessed about creating authentic New York pizza. So, you know, some people may not know, but a New York style pizza is very distinctive and it um, has a lot to do with the type of flour, the water temperatures. Mostly it's to do with how long the, the dough is proofed for. So it takes about three days just to make the dough. Wow. Um, yeah, and it's cold fermented. So so you make the dough and basically you let the dough sit in a, in a, in a fridge for about three days. What this does is it builds the flavor and it builds the stretchiness in the dough. So um, when you bite into New York pizza, it has a almost like a chewiness to the dough. So that's one of its characteristics. Of course, there's a certain type of cheese. So it's not an Italian pizza, Neapolitan style. Mm-hmm. It's different. It, it's a, it, but again, it's just something that I couldn't get here. I couldn't get that right taste. So I just kept making pizzas. <laughs> That's what I did for a week. Just eating uh, all the pizza, friends and family yeah. being fed pizza. Did you yeah, start exactly. Did you start basic? Did you like, right, we're going to master the margarita and then we'll think about toppings later? Or are you trying to craft your dream pizza from the outset? No, you're, you're right. It was really about like the, the base and the dough. And it, it was basically a, a margarita. Uh, you know, my personal fave is pepperoni mushroom. So, of course, I was adding adding that on top. But um, eventually, I started experimenting with other toppings. Once I had the idea to turn it into frozen, then I needed to be a little bit more scientific to say, hey, can I freeze mm-hmm. vegetables on top of a pizza and have it cook properly? So these were all the sort of experiments that I would go through. But um, yeah, and, and eventually settled uh, to start with three sort of classic fav- flavors, the, the margarita, pepperoni, and a, and a vegetarian. Yeah, so it was just like I said, a big science experiment. But there's so many variables, aren't there, when you think about toppings, when you think yeah. about sourcing even you know, pepperoni or what kind of mushrooms. The cheese is like a whole other show, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you decide on who you were going to work with when it came to sourcing and suppliers? So that was definitely a, a challenge. Essentially, what I was researching was what do New York pizzerias use? Mm-hmm. And the challenge with New York pizzerias is even in New York City, the authentic New York-style pizza is kind of a dying art. Pizzas have evolved over the last uh, 10 years. And now there's sort of this, I call it sort of a strange hybrid version, which is the most common pizza you'll, you'll find in Dubai, which is it's not really authentic Neapolitan, and it's not uh, American-style. It's, it's sort of somewhere in between. And so to find the correct ingredients was, has definitely been a challenge. It's been a challenge just to find out what New York pizzerias actually use. So once I kind of figured that out through uh, all sorts of means, Google, <laughs> YouTube, bribery, uh, corruption. <laughs> yeah, I mean there was a lot of a lot of research went in to really figure out what what is that sauce, and not only what is that sauce, but what tomatoes are they using. And so once I figured that all out, it was a matter of searching out uh, suppliers who could uh, provide that in, in, uh, in Dubai. So, um, and now it's on the shelves. One. So t- tell, us, yeah. tell us about that journey, about being involved in the Spinning Incubator program. What kind of advice did you receive? And, you know, kind of what role did that play in getting you to where you are now? You know, it, it was huge because uh, just before I saw that announced, it was this idea that, oh, I'd, you know, I'd love to have this in the stores. But that's kind of a a huge challenge where, well, who do I even talk to? So, you know, you start doing research about how do I get in touch with these uh, these grocery stores and who to speak to? And there's this 
idea that it's going to be expensive and, um, uh, you know, uh, maybe I need a lot of money to get into stores and those types of things. So when the incubator came along, I said, look, I can't not enter this and, and take a crack at it. So, you know, once I was accepted, yeah, the you, you start to realize that there's this whole world that, that I have no experience and <laughs> don't understand. But uh, that's part of my journey of being an entrepreneur is just like, let's dive in and let, let's learn this. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been giving great advice along the way and, you know, advice on pricing and how it's positioned in the market. And, um, you know, mostly my goal was to have something that stood out on the shelf, something that is actually a very high quality pizza. You'd be happy to feed it to to your friends and family. You can even fool them that it's homemade um, or delivery. It, you know, just because frozen pizza does have a bit of a stigma that it's, you know, it's a, chip, a cheap, uh, quick food. It's not the healthiest thing. Mm. But I thought, you know, there's an opportunity to, to bring something um, fresh to that space and um, uh, really provide uh, customers with something that they haven't had. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Great to have you with us on Farmer's Kitchen, highlighting small businesses and those involved in the Spinneys Incubator Programme. In conversation with Jason Lewis, he is the guy behind Louis' New York Food Co. making New York-style pizza, frozen artisanal pizza, that you'll be able to get in your local Spinneys very, very soon. And I had to ask him, where does he stand on pineapple on pizza? Right. So this has been a long uh, debate. You're right. And I have to say that I like pineapple on pizza and I'm proud to say that. Oh, Jason, um, me too. Textures are coming on 4001. People just absolutely appalled. Send your complaints to this number. (laughs) My idea is it will be in the line in the future uh, with some with some other flavors to come. But I think I, I love this idea of kind of playing off that great debate and, you know, almost on the box, kind of saying something about it, you know, love it or hate it, but mm-hmm. this is the pineapple pizza kind of thing. And have a bit of fun with it because it is such a a, a wild topic that, that people think you're nuts for eating it, eating it or that's people's favorite. So it's so funny. <laughs> Um, I want to ask you about price point as well. How do you begin to decide how much you're going to charge? Because you know, we're lucky in Dubai, pizza delivery is readily available, lots of companies doing it and doing it really well. So I, listen, don't get me wrong, I love the convenience of just knowing I've got a pizza in the freezer and I don't need to think about dinner for maybe one night a week. But how do you compete in terms of price? I know it's a different offering. What What are you charging? These would retail around, um, I believe it's about 30 to 35 in there. Right. So in terms of frozen pizzas, it's there is a, a bit of a range. You have less expensive than that, sacrifice a little bit on the quality of ingredients, and then you have more uh, premium prices than that, but those would be more of your uh, vegan type uh, mm-hmm. pizzas tend to be more expensive than that. So it's kind of right in the middle, and, and, and we think it's a it's a it's a good fit to get some you know uh, really high quality ingredients. You know, there's nothing uh, nothing processed in here at all. My second question is: Are you looking for tasters for the next uh, the next run of flavors? I'm right here. I'm, I'm available. I'm, I'm, I like yes. I like pineapple on pizza. Right, yeah, we need uh, we need to do some testing. That's for sure. Good, so uh, good, good, good. happy to give you some of the new flavors <laughs> that are going to come. Well, out. we have an army of food fans listening now, so we'll ask everyone to message in the kind of flavors they'd like to see. We can do a bit of a bit of crowdsourcing right now in terms of uh, a focus group here at Dubai. So let us know the flavors you'd like to see on the shelves four zero zero one, or use the ARN Play app. 
And you know, we've we've seen a record number of business licenses being issued over the course of the last year, Jason. And I wondered if you had any advice for anyone that's thinking about getting into the F&B industry and even producing you know, products themselves with a view to getting them on shelves in supermarkets. What do people need to know about the reality of it? I think that the reality is, I mean, in terms of licensing, nowadays there's so many options. Um, you know, when I was doing research, there, there's, it's not like it was years ago where you may have a large capital investment to, to get a trade license. Nowadays, um, in Dubai and some of the other municipalities um, are offering quite reasonable fees to, to get a trade license. In terms of the F&B space, you know, I think one of the key drivers that, that helped Spinnies to um, select me, well, it was kind of two things, a, a somewhat unique take on a, on a sector. So how about, you know, frozen food? It, it needs a refresh. It, it kind of has this old negative thought behind it. And so I really wanted to take on that space with new ideas. But Beyond that, it was it's about the branding, and so your branding has to be really uh, attractive to people, and and um, you know I think that's where a lot of people get off track is, is they maybe don't have a strong brand, and so if they if they are able to come up with a solid solid idea and a strong brand, I you know I'd really encourage them to go for it because um, I think uh, Dubai is becoming kind of a, a bit of a foodie space, and um, you know we'd love to see it become one of those great food cities in, in the future. Couldn't agree more. My last question, though, who is Louis? Me. It's just a short uh, nickname for for myself. Oh, so. <laughs> love it, love yeah, it. Yeah. And lastly, are you sick of pizza? Never, 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 never. never. Yeah. All I need, all I need, is the listeners to give me new flavor ideas, and then how could I ever get sick? Of we will report back. Make sure that you're yeah. not getting bored, and really looking yeah. forward to you. So Sunday could be the day yeah. where we'll be able to I get so. our hands on your on your pizzas so they sound absolutely delicious and pepperonis on the shelves yes yes pepperoni yep okay right sold we are we are we are sorted thank you so much have a wonderful weekend ahead keep us posted on all of your news congratulations on being part of that spinnies incubator program go carb up i fully support you yes, yes. thank keep me, you keep me posted on the pineapple cheers jason have a good one <laughs> thank you You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. It is Thursday afternoon. We love talking about food and Spinneys is so passionate about working with local suppliers and getting a real understanding about where the food that ends up on our shelves comes from. We're speaking now to Mohammed Asawi. He's the founder and CEO of My Farm, where you and the family can go along for tours, workshops and maybe a few tastings too. He is on the farm right now. Mohammed, thank you so yes. much for being with us. Can you describe what you can see? Where are you? <laughs> I'm in the middle of the farm with the goats and the sheep <laughs> and uh, with a lot of birds around. <laughs> <laughs> do you give the animals names and do you have any favorites? Uh, we give names, but not me. We use the animals for education. So when we have a newborn, we, we ask people visiting the next day, for example, they will choose a name. Aww. So we have... Uh, one brown one is a brownie, or another black and white is a Oreo. <laughs> uh, we have so many, so people choose the, choose the name. I love that. <laughs> so tell us about, a little bit about the history of my farm. How long have you been involved? So I came to UAE four years ago, and uh, but my story started in France with farming. I grew up in the south of France, and I grew up in a farm. Um, my grandfather were farmers, and then I was engineer. And when I came to Dubai, I started to do my own uh, my own garden, my own plant, because um, I, I was passionate about it. Then I founded my farm, my farm Dubai. Uh, so I am the CEO and founder right now. 
And what we try to do, we try to produce uh, the, the good, good local quality at the farm. So you started growing, obviously, you know, growing up on a farm and then also growing yourself in Dubai. So it's, the south of France to Dubai is very different in many ways, but I'm sure the soil, the climate, the conditions, what kind of things exactly. did you learn about growing in this part of the world? But so totally new. It's totally new things. Agriculture in the south of France and, and here is totally different. Here we have a lot of salt in the sand. We have a lot of wind. The weather, the, 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 the seasons are totally different. But finally, uh, we have uh, we, ha- we had good hopes, and and finally we managed we managed to produce as well here. Where I, where I grew up in the south of France, my grandfather were working uh, with the traditional way. What we did with my farm Dubai, we are using the traditional way, but combined with the with the, the new technologies which are safe to, to to assist. So we use a special irrigation system, humidity control. It's not going to disturb the ecosystem. It's not going to, to act like, for example, if you speak about the chemicals or things like that. We try to use the best technologies, the new technologies, which are safe for the ecosystem. Can you explain for anyone who, like me, is not talented in the growing department at all, what are some of the things that perhaps beginners could have a go at growing here in Dubai? For me, gardening and doing, doing farming is like uh, driving. You know, you have to... Before to start your garden, you have to learn. And this is what I believe, to not lose time and to lose energy because you will lose a lot of water and a lot of... Then, when you know how to plant, you know the basic the basics things, you can grow almost everything in your east. Uh, even, uh, you know, we started to produce strawberries, we planted banana trees, sugarcane. We are focused that our main production is tomatoes, but we try to do whatever we can, but still like in a reasonable way. Uh, for example, we are not going to grow avocados. Yeah, that's not a kind of challenge. We to... not, not a good use of your energy or resources. Everybody can start with uh, radishes, tomatoes, rocket uh, leaves, uh, salad. So many things can grow here during the season. And I know you're a passionate foodie yourself um, and love cooking with what you produce. Why do you think that's important in terms of really knowing where your produce comes from? I know yours is literally from the ground and then it's straight into the kitchen. But what about us as customers? Should we be asking um, more questions and, and really caring yes. about this? Yes, exactly. And that's very, very important because you, you struggle for in the desert to produce a, a high quality and fresh. When you harvest the vegetable, we go straight away to the kitchen. You're not, we are not going to lose the vitamins and the minerals. So that's very important for our health. And what I believe that I try to, I start to work with many chefs and the chefs, they know better than me how to cook and how to preserve the vitamins. See, 80% of the food is coming from out. We import 80% of the food in, in your eat. And uh, the 20% we produce locally, we should eat it uh, raw and fresh as much as possible. So at the farm, for example, we don't have any fridge. We, we sell, the, we, we, we harvest the veg- vegetables after the orders, so the, the kind of challenge we want to do, we don't. We are not looking for to copy what happened in the in the market. We try to do something like totally new. For example, this morning we got few boxes to to deliver. We harvest and we send it in the hour. So the challenge is uh, to to keep as much as possible the, the minerals and the vitamins and the in the vegetable veggies we, we do. Uh, Mohammed, I'm you, when you mentioned baby goats before, and then you mentioned vegetables and freshness and delicious i'm immediately thinking i need to bring my children to visit you because they love animals and they don't love vegetables so maybe maybe oreo and brownie can convince them um tell us a little bit about how families can come along and and what that experience is like so people when they come to the farm they visit uh, first we start from the animals we use our animals for education not for the meat i'm not vegan by the way 
but I, uh, I'm not eating meat every day, maybe once a month. We use those animals for education. We recycle their waste. So the waste, we collect their waste and we do compost with it. So we show about all the process, what should be in, a, in an organic farm. So we collect the waste, we do compost with it. The compost is going to feed the land. The land is going to feed the plant. The plants are going to feed us and feed the animals as well. The animals are going to do waste again and feed the land again. So it's a totally closed loop. So we use this circular ecosystem for our circular economy as well. Even with the best of intentions, our kids perhaps don't really understand, you know, things growing from seeds. My kids are doing it at the moment at school and they absolutely love planting and seeing that process. And yes. the thought of picking and then eating, I think, would absolutely, you know, blow their tiny minds. Are you still doing workshops and tours even at this time of year? Yes, but right now, you see, we, we had a lot of windows too last days. Mm-hmm. But what we try to do, we try to adapt the packages. So, for example, we were doing the tours outside. Well, right now, we do the tour indoors. So we are in the greenhouses and we we, we reduce the time, but we, we can still harvest the tomatoes inside. And we did the, we did what we call a, a tomato museum. Mm-hmm. So each line of... Uh, <laughs> we have... We, we, we got uh, around uh, 120, 130 varieties of tomatoes what? around the world. <laughs> and, How and is that possible? So, okay, do you, know, do you have a favourite tomato? If you haven't got a favourite goat... Uh, it's like asking between your babies. Really. <laughs> it depends who's sleeping the most. That's a very easy question. <laughs> and I guess, it, I guess it depends on what it's for. If you're, having, if you're cooking, if you're having fresh, if it's a little snack, if it, you know... Even, I will tell you that, 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 that each tomato has a different personality, different taste, different flavour, different shape, different colours, different kind of juice, sweet or not. So we did this kind of tomato museum with uh, 30 varieties growing in one greenhouse. Those 30 varieties are here to educate kids and to show that even also to be attractive. Uh, we should attract the kids. We are still teaching the kids to eat more healthy vegetable things. But when you take a tomato in the market, when you eat the tomato, there is no sugar, no flavor, nothing. What I believe that we have to give them something very sweet and then we don't need to negotiate and full of colors as well. When you do a salad with that, and the only complaint we had until today, it was that the cherry tomatoes, usually they are never going to reach home. <laughs> They're gone. <laughs> so they're gone before we That's the so, kind of that's... feedback we like. Oh, it sounds, exactly. it sounds amazing. And, and can you just give us a few d- details around the location as well, Mohammed? So we are in Dubai, Hawanij, and uh, like uh, 20, 25 minutes to, from Burj Khalifa. During the COVID time, we, we try to organize to be safe as well. So we do very small tours and private tours, very small groups, few few people on the group uh, following the policies. We organize and we book, we do a booking and then uh, then we share the exact location. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to let you get back to your plants, to your goats, to what sounds like an absolutely idyllic afternoon but it's great that everyone can come along and have a have a piece of that paradise um and Thank you, it's a case of booking through the website my farm dubai and you're on instagram as well yes we are still uh, answering the whatsapp as well so we try to be connected we are not like trying to do a farm only we try to build a community for the uae so we we, tr- we answer to everybody even if it's very late sometimes because we finish late mm-hmm. but we still answer I just never thought I'd be talking about a tomato museum. Have a great one. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Don't forget, you can tune in live to Farmer's Kitchen every single Thursday afternoon on Dubai Eye 103.8 between 2 and 5 p.m.